Welcome everybody to the Good Data Podcast. We have a great show for you today. Todd Finnegan will be with us. Todd is CEO of ACS Services, a data center and mission critical systems company that focuses on automation, integration, and service. Todd has worked in the high-stakes world of data center service for years, including many marathon fix-it sessions where he had to white-knuckle his way through intensely complicated and hugely consequential repairs for like 24 hours plus. You'll hear how his background in high-stakes teams like his collegiate rowing career at Princeton helped him to handle the pressures of the data center industry better than just about anybody I've ever met. Todd is the kind of guy who you meet and think, okay, this guy's going to do the job, whatever it is. There aren't that many people like him. So happy to have him on the show. Let's go. Before we actually sat down, Todd took me on a tour of his beautiful new office. Quantity of storage. But this is, you know, that's a security camera. So, uh, he has a feeding live. You got all your chase. I got all that stuff going on here. So this is where the control guys hang out and some of the other tickets come up. I don't let them use the space down there. It's too nice. <laughs> and then we sat down in his amazing conference room for an interview. Todd, welcome to Good Data. Uh, thank you for sitting down with me. My pleasure, Drew. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, we've known each other for a long time, but I haven't really gotten a chance to sit down and talk about how you got to where you are, how you started ACS, um, and you know why automation and integration is such a good part of the business. So that's what I want to get to eventually. But first of all, what is ACS? Okay, so. ACS services is automation and critical system services. And I mean, that's a, that's a mouthful. So ACS for short, obviously. Um, we're a, a company that is, that is obviously we, our inception, automation being the first you know, word of the name. That's where we started. Um, it's a niche business. Uh, we wanted to focus on a niche business because it's easier to market because we were brand new and being all things to everybody is not exactly the way to get your message out or in our case to try to find a single customer because we started out with no tools, no men, no customers, nothing. So automation and was had become something that was very important to me over the years being a guy with a mechanical background and understanding how difficult automation is to mechanical contractors, mechanical service providers, providers etc. I needed to get my arms around it and um, I wanted to focus on it very heavily um, as we uh, as, as we moved on in time. So you talked about your background and you have a really interesting background to me so we're going to dive into that a little bit. I always look at LinkedIn and see what the past is 
And I didn't know that you went West Catholic. Is that the West Catholic in Philly on 45th? Oh, 40, 49th and Chestnut. It's no longer there. Yeah, um, yeah. Now right. it's West. It's the West Catholic, including the girls and boys school. Right. It was West Catholic boys and girls. My father was a graduate of uh, 1950 from West Catholic, and my older brother, 1977. I don't know, maybe 10 years or so after right. I graduated in '83. I think the boys' school and the girls' school, um, you know. They they had to they had to join forces because yeah. I think enrollments were down. Well, I just know it because we we rode against West West Catholic. Oh, I was that's a rower. Right. I, I know you were a rower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, but you, that's you, right. Yeah, you rode. You guys are always bigger than us. <laughs> <laughs> really? There must be something in the water in Philadelphia. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> but you so you went there and then you went to Princeton. Did you row at Princeton? Yes, too? I did. Yeah, I okay. did. Yeah, I did. Um, so. Um, so the Ivy League has this thing where you can't have a sports scholarship. Yeah. So, but it didn't hurt that I yeah. that I rode, uh, and it didn't hurt that I had played football as well. But uh, yes, I, ro- I I rode at Princeton, and my junior year I hurt my back. I ruptured two discs, so that kind of terminated my yeah. career. But I had a I had a really good run my first and second year, and into my third year, it was, it was a lot of fun, and it did at a certain level, it did pay for college. Yeah, right. It That's, absolutely did. It helped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you miss rowing at all? Cause I, no, I, I I can't I can't think of something I'm less likely to want to do. I mean, you've done I feel it the so same you, way. You, I mean, you're like five strokes into a 200 stroke race and you're in oxygen agony. debt. Yeah. It's absolute agony, and yeah. and as you've seen many times at the end of a race, people are you know leaning yeah. over the gunwale of the boat and ejecting the contents of their stomach. It's not a lot of fun when you're in the. What's great about rowing is when you're done. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> totally awesome. How you feel and what you've accomplished. Right. That's what's best about rowing. It's great to be in good shape. It's great to have the camaraderie yeah, and the teamwork yeah. that comes with it. The the kind of order of, of everybody being in the boat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those races are torture. Yeah, they are torture. But <laughs> you learn. You do learn a lot about um, relying upon your teammates. And, yeah. and I mean, I mean, teamwork is that's something that I think that is uh, that, that is an absolute hallmark of rowing. I mean everything about it you know the timing of the feathering of the stroke and how the the oars catch into the water i mean yeah. every single thing about it is everybody working in unison the same i suppose with synchronized swimming for that matter right yeah. i mean they, they they would cop the same play that they're all about teamwork but um and especially when you're in a tremendous amount of pain um, being able to make sure that you're opening your back up and driving your legs and you know putting the oar in the water at the same time as everybody else it's extremely critical that everybody knows that everybody else is responsible for their part in this play. And that's how the boat goes across the finish line fastest, you know, with, uh, with, with the least amount of flaws through the stroke and, and that team working together. I mean, it's, it's really difficult to do that when you're in a lot of pain. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, you, your company has a lot of teamwork focus. I mean, you've got, yeah. you got guys in the field, you got a high mission critical, you know, work that has to be done, high stress, yeah. High communication required. Yeah. So, you know, for me personally, that's something that I feel like I got out of rowing. Is that's I mean, it, no, I would take away. I, I I think that's absolutely the case. I think there's a strong parallel to that. I mean, certainly, I think when um, when you sort of get addicted to that, you know, um, what you can put yourself through and then what you can accomplish by what you can put yourself through, the ability to. Um, to endure a certain amount of agony and pain in order for this really tremendous result to happen at the other end. Mm. Yeah, man, that's data center work. That's, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely critical environment work. I mean, 
you go through times. We had a an interesting um, thing that happened to a data center customer of ours, um, probably about the, the day after Thanksgiving. I, one of the technicians and I spent what's what felt like 13 to 14 hours in hell. I mean, it was absolutely a nail biter and a certain amount of it was beyond our control. But I mean, it was an utterly, completely linear panic. It was real stressful, but we, we didn't lose our cool and we got to the other end of it and solved the problem for the customer. But boy, oh boy, I mean, that was, it felt great when it was over. But again, when you're in it, oh God, the agony, please make it stop. Yeah. Anything, any right. port in a storm, you know. But um, yeah, I, I would say that there are definite parallels to uh, the discipline of rowing, um, being patient, um, and then also being able to endure intense amounts of pressure, pain, whatever you want to call it, because critical environments. Now, look, the guy who owns the KFC at the end of the street, he thinks that his fry machine is a piece of mission critical equipment. And right. it, is. it is. And by the way, if his walk-in box you know, goes down and all that chicken in there starts to get hot and he can't sell that chicken, it's a piece of critical equipment. But the stakes... As you know, the stakes are really high for these people with servers spinning out there on the white space on the white floor. And it gets really intense really fast. Um, and so it takes a certain temperament. And I think that's probably why we're not the hugest company in the world. And I don't have like 95 guys on the road. Um, you you definitely bring people on. They see what it's like and they they opt out. Um, they, they don't want to deal with that. They would prefer to do, you know, something that if it's service or if it's installation, um, something that's less intense. Um, and I've always, always told the guys, especially when I recruit, when I'm sitting down in front of a, uh, in front of a young person who's interested to see what we do and what we, you know, what, what we're all about. And I try to communicate to them at the very beginning, this is SEAL Team 6. It's not the Army. It's SEAL Team 6. So it's very intense. The people that, my, my technicians that we have, we pour a tremendous amount of money into them for training and for their tools and to develop specific areas of expertise. Yeah, we do commercial office buildings. We work on rooftop units, package units all the time. But we have the the distinction of, of the, the, the great amount of our portfolio of being mission critical. And it does take a certain temperament for even our lowest level technician, some of our, some of our apprentices, I mean, we, we shake them out pretty quickly because some of them just can't deal, you know, with, with the intensity of it. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's not just intensity, but also it's just, it's an endurance contest because when the summer hits and, uh, equipment is failing because it's hot outside and think nothing really wants to work when it's 95 degrees, it's, it's long hours. Um, it's double shifts because it's it's just us to get this done. So we all have to pull together. Again, the rowing analogy. We all have to pull together to 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 pull the boat over the finish line and get it done. And, um, and so it, it takes a certain amount of endurance, patience, and um, and the ability to understand that it will eventually stop, and you will be proud at the other end of what you've accomplished. And there's absolute parallels from rowing to this business what was the single most important takeaway from that training and that i think it's i think it's just like anything else i would think it would be you know uh, basically the intensity um you know being able to 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 deal with intense moments and the ability to um 
to to use that those lessons and the and the ability of your training to fall back on your training um, and deal with whatever's coming at you. And it's it's no different here. Um, on a daily basis, you know, out of the clear blue sky at 6 a.m. when I'm drinking my first cup of coffee uh, or my third cup of coffee, um, that you know, I'll get an email or a text from somebody, and all heck has broken loose. And what do we do now? You know, so um, it, it, the the ability to to fall back on all the things that you've learned. Um, you know, what are the facts? Um, you know, what is the situation? Is anybody hurt? Um, do we have power? Is water spurting all over the data center floor? Whatever it is, the ability to sort of triage the decision-making process down to its most discrete elements and figure out what's got to get done. Um, that, that's something that I think is, is true of, of all the experiences of, of my life. I would I would I would say that that's that's probably been a constant theme is the ability to sort of figure out what are the most important things that we need to do in this very urgent situation, and I think that's probably why I enjoy service um, as opposed to um, large you know installation projects. There's something nice about an installation project because it has a beginning, middle, and an end, um, and they they do have their problems. There's change orders, there's negotiations, and sometimes things get litigious and nasty. But service, I think it's the, the utter unpredictability of what this particular piece of equipment is going to do when it's below zero, unadjusted wind chill, um, when nothing wants to work right. Or it's 95 degrees in the air temperature in the shade, but up on a black roof, it's, you've got 120 degree air coming across a coil that's not meant to to deal with anything above 95 and the equipment just goes to hell in a handbasket. And so, you know, then we have tenants and we have data center people and people are running around literally with their hair on fire because their job is on the line. It's not just about somebody being uncomfortable and I'm sweating, you know, it's, it says 74 in here and it should be 72, Todd. That's not the calls we get. Yeah, we get some of those, but the calls that really, you know, get us up in the middle of the night is when in a 15 minutes period of time, it went from, you know, 72 degrees in the cold aisle to 95 degrees in the cold aisle. And we have an absolutely urgent situation that we have to jump on. So, yeah, I would say that, um, the nature of that and all of my training and everything that's kind of like, I've done my entire life has sort of prepared me for this. Um, I've made deliberate choices and of, of career things and sports things. And obviously, you know, what I choose to do for a living, um, you know, to, to do this, I was very, I didn't like banking. It was boring. Um, it was absolutely, I was absolutely bored to tears at banking. So, um, yeah, I deal with spreadsheets all day long, but these spreadsheets have to do with, with men and materials and equipment and trucks and tools and all sorts of cool stuff that I love. Um, and, and, yeah, crazy surprises at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know, on a Tuesday that just completely take your day a, a hard left turn sideways and you have no idea, no ability to predict it. I love that. Yeah. That service. Yeah. Yeah. And so service is incredibly difficult, I will say, but it also parlays really interestingly back into your automation and making sure that you know before anybody else that there's an issue ideally so 
that's why <clears throat> having that kind of back end like uh, BMS system that can relay information to you so that you're proactive and not reactive is that why your service kind of has to go hand in hand with with the automation so um I would say that probably um, as, as a mechanical guy from a mechanical background, I would tell you that um, the, the only, th I think that there's very few things that we hated more than, than a building automation guy. Um, you know, we, we've got this big chiller or this air handler or this whatever that, that, that we've installed and the ductwork's beautiful and the piping's beautiful, but this, this guy who's sitting in the boiler room with his laptop computer is, is holding me up and he can't make my unit run the way I know it's supposed to run. I determined at a pretty early age that I needed to understand this stuff in order to have a complete picture and to be of complete service to my customer because the customers, the only thing the customer hates, the customer hates nothing more than finger pointing of a building automation guy or mechanical guy or gal, whatever, uh, to, uh, you know, to solve a problem. So, those are the two hemispheres um, in order to get a mechanical problem, uh, especially on a large commercial um, problem, you know, solved. Because very often it is some combination of mechanical and building automation that is at the root cause of the problem. And more and more these days on the building automation side of things, things are getting so, you know, IT based. You know, uh, network configurations, subnet masks, IP addresses, things like that. It's it's not just about dampers and actuators anymore. Yeah. Um, it's it's really so much about the networks and the network configurations. Some of the most persistent, crazy, and irritating problems that we deal with have to do with networks, because if literally if it was an actuator or if it was a wire that was communicating, you know, just, just regular old signal wire. It's very often networks and network configurations and more IT world stuff that, you know, that, that really trips us up. Mm -hmm. So my most senior guys are, are pretty savvy that way. They're very good with, with network stuff. They're very, they're, they're very IT driven. That's good, especially in, in the space that we occupy in service being, being in, in data centers because our customers, our data center customer people, they're IT people. Yeah. They're, that's that's the talk they talk. Yeah. So we're able to typically, now obviously we're not IT guys, but we're able to, we have enough intelligence and enough ability and capabilities in understanding how our equipment works to be able to work with the customer through some of these network configuration issues, uh, to be able to have them understand that we need a, a special VLAN set up for this, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, to drive the traffic in a different direction. Today's episode is brought to you by GreenLane Design. GreenLane has been designing, engineering, and building critical facilities for over 10 years, including major enterprise customers as well as co-location facilities. GLD has designed and developed an integrated stack of design disciplines. If you would be interested in a free assessment, go to greenlanedesign.com, click on contact, and mention the podcast. Well, it's funny that there's a couple pieces of the data center stack that uh, that network touches, and one of them is security. You know, the, the target hack a long time ago uh, was because an HVAC contractor had uh, access to the VPN yeah. on the target network, and they were able to hack in. 
And so having that knowledge of how to segregate and create the separate VLAN that, you know, you're only Mm -hmm. able to VPN into is a selling point, or it should be. (laughs) It should be uh, something that clients look for to -hmm. make sure they're getting the the best um, value for what they're asking for. And then also reliability. So if that network connection goes down or has a problem, it gets a loss of communication. And since everything's IT-based... They could have a problem just because of the network, like you're yeah. saying. So, so, you know, having having both those things is really important, obviously. <laughs> so, uh, but that that wasn't always the case. So many things were Modbus based, or you know, the, it's sort of the older technology. So, how have you kept up? Like, what what is your? Uh, uh, I mean, it's <laughs> the rate of change within um, within building automation. I think is the thing that's that's really astounding. Um, so, you know. I'm an old enough individual at this point to remember pneumatics really well, you know, when it was just pipe with air running through it and then a big old nasty compressor in some room down in the bowels of a building somewhere. So I'm looking at that and looking at kind of what's happened over the past several decades and how things have gone from that to where we are now. I mean, the wireless thing is still out there. And I think that, um, you know, I think that there might be people that would probably, you know, uh, tell me that I'm full of soup when I say that the reliability of the wireless stuff is, 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 is typically not as good as the stuff that's actually wired up. Or perhaps I just haven't seen that technology yet, but mm-hmm. everything's still pretty much wired basis. And that could be Ethernet or it could be Twisted Pair or whatever it is. But the evolution of controls has been something that I've, I've found captivating and fascinating. And I think that there is a certain um, intellectual curiosity that has to be resident in, in a controls guy uh, or gal um, to, to get them to the, to the upper echelons, if you will, in being a quote-unquote a senior technician. I mean, I'll just, you've seen my lab uh, in, in, my, in, in my space. And I will tell you that, you know, some of my senior guys, they have their own lab in their house. And they like, they ask me to buy, oh, I just saw this new controller. Todd, get, get, will you get one that we can play with? We want to try to break it. So they buy stuff. They play with it. They try to figure out how it works. They try to break it. They're, they're engineers, really. They're, yeah. they're trying to figure out how something works and how, more importantly, how it won't work. Um, that I think, especially when you're in the field and you're trying to make something work, understanding that you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that in order to get the best result. They're having that, having that sort of like, um, wonderful aha moment, intense, um, intellectual curiosity, uh, is, and I think that would probably be something that's very common to most really senior controls guys that are out there or gals that are out there. Building automation people just are, are constantly, they're, they're input junkies. They, they want to know more. They need to know why this, why this controller is faster and why it processes things so much better and what kind of processors has it on it. On it. You've got controllers now that, um, you know, uh, you could put that that would that would take care of an air handler or a rooftop unit or, or even a chiller, um, but you've got controllers that are out there now that are more powerful than than entire building automation systems were 15 years ago. The 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 speed of the processor and what these things can do. They can serve up their own web page. You can web directly into this controller. You don't need a whole building automation system. You literally can have a plant level controller that can act as a head end. Yeah. So crazy 
I mean, it just, but, but, but that intellectual curiosity, I think, is the thing that kind of constantly drives um, the, you know, the, the advance of technology within a company like mine. Because my guys are, they're constantly thinking about what our customers are, what their needs are, what problems they haven't been able to solve in the past. So they're breezing around one day, they see a training class on this other controller, and next thing you know, we're certified in something else, or they're certified in something else. So a constant investment into the people, and but also from them that that curiosity that I want to know more, I want to know more. Being a, a, just an input junkie, that I think is is kind of what drives us to con- continually, you know, move the needle and advance on the building automation side of things. But it's the same in, in all the businesses and all my business units, and 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 certainly in. Um, and critical power, which we do, and, and, and HVAC as well, um, you know, that equipment continues to advance. And um, as some of my more senior HVAC guys will tell you when they go to training classes, I, I just had one come back from a uh, centrifugal chiller class with uh, York Johnson. And three quarters of the class was spent on the software. You know, the controls, the, 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 the unloading functionality and the PID loops that are you know, resident within that. And, and this is what they're looking at. They're spending all their time on the controls aspect of this big piece of iron, this 2000 ton chiller. Um, but that's where everything's headed. You know, this smart, this smart world, this, these connected device, the internet of things, whatever you want to say, but this is where you need to be. And you need to be a person who has the flexibility of intellect in order to be able to make that jump. Otherwise you're going to be just the guy that punches the tubes in the chiller. Right. Well, the funny thing is software has really taken over hardware in so many ways, and the software has gotten so much smarter, but we're, we're still using a lot of the same algorithms, saying PID. I've, I've spoken to other people about this that um, have been used, you know, is used in, in navigating ships yeah. years and years ago. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity there, I think, to really come to the next level. I don't know what the best products are or anything like that, but there's possibilities around neural nets and machine learning and things like that um, that really could change things. Is that something that just, you know, if, if you can throw a pie in the sky, something that you're excited about that you see on the horizon, or is a lot of it just smoke? Well, I haven't seen any of it um, sometimes. So we've talked about the great things about the service business, but sometimes um, what we do is really mundane, boring stuff right fuses belts and filters yeah. and you know when you're checking out you know a building automation system controllers work until they don't yeah. you know a lot of time i can't oil it i can't change the tire rotate the tires on a controller to make it last longer so there's a certain mundane nature to what we do that's just inherent in the service business and we accept that um and we've also seen you know having tried out and, and tested a lot of technology even in our seven short years um, we've, um, we've seen a lot of technology kind of fall very short. And I would also say that, um, without naming names on manufacturers and things of that nature, which I think would be dangerous, but you can, you know, who is going to release something that's a pretty well baked cake and you know, who isn't because you've experienced it because they all make promises. Um, and we have seen, by and large, that what gets actually delivered um, and the promises that they actually made 
um, it, it, it takes several additional revisions in order to get to what, so let's just say it was, you know, XPJ 10.2, XPJ 11.9 gets you to where you thought 10.2 was going to get you to. And we've seen that. And so we're very careful about, um, we're very cautious when it comes to stuff like that. We have customers that are smart people. And they see the bulletins and they go, I want XPJ 10.2. That's going to solve all my problems. And I, I have to put up the universal timeout symbol to the Mr. and Miss Customer and say, can we just like, you know, make your current site a little bit more stable? Uh, and then, then we'll think about XPJ 10.2 maybe sometime in the future. After we've seen what happens to it with other, you know, initial, you know, early adopters, let's see their, you know, sites Go crashing and burning. I don't want to see that for you. We just don't. I maybe it's. I'm just getting older and more crotchety, and you know, a little bit less accepting of of the new widget and wingding. I like to see it be tried. I mean, we need to adopt, and we do adopt. But I am always cautious of the the newest shiny object, which is why when the boys are trying to sell me on a new technology on the automation side of the business. I usually let it sit for a while um, or, or, you know, okay, let's sample something. Let's get a couple of these things in here and try to break it and see what we really have. Um, the cream usually rises to the, to the top right. and that's, that's what we see. Um, the better products have a tendency to be released when they should be released. Uh, what's that? Uh, I'll sell no wine before it's time kind of thing, right. you know? Right. Um, but that's usually what we see. Certain brands really do that well. Certain brands they need something for the next quarter, quarter's earnings report. Um, and, and, and I think most people understand that, but um, we're very cautious about how we deploy because we have to live with the burning building. We have to live with the thing that didn't work. Um, so when I know that something will work and I can recommend a solution, that I've seen that works very well, and I can be with a very, very high degree of confidence recommend that to to a customer. Yes, but in critical facilities where 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 um, uptime and things of that nature are extremely important, um, I'm probably pretty well aligned with a lot of my customers being pretty cautious because what I have works right now. Yeah, my site is stable. Might this thing introduce an element of instability? Might this be a security risk? I think people get more and more conservative the higher the stakes are. And so the newer wingding, um, who's he, what's it, shiny object, uh, let's just see how that goes uh, before we deploy. Um, I'm, to answer your question directly, I am extremely, extremely cynical of new technology because I think that a lot of us just like new stuff because we like new stuff. Yeah. You know, my kids love new cell phones. There's nothing wrong with the one they're using right now. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's interesting too because some of those things are the customer isn't the data center operator. The customer is the C-suite or somebody who uh, is looking to integrate um, all of their business functions in some way. So so you look at DCIM, which yeah. is not really business building automation. And in, in some ways, it, it tries to get into that game, but it pretty much fails to get into that game for the most part. 
Um, but it's it's used to kind of bridge all these quote unquote silos between the different the IT operators, the the building automation, and then the upper management. And it also adds another layer of complexity. But the idea behind it is to integrate. So as an integrator, <laughs> what do you think is the best means of integrating across as many silos as possible? And also, where would you want the cutoff to be? Gosh. That's a big um, question, I guess. That's a huge <laughs> question, Carl. Yeah. We, we could have a uh, whole discussion on that for a month. Um, so are we are we talking about the integration of, of the needs of the IT guy, what's down inside the rack, along with what the facilities guy needs to needs to deal with? Yeah, and, I think that's a good starting point. Yeah. Yeah, so right. So there there's your, your perfect marriage of the DCIM system and what it was promised to be, I don't know how long ago. I mean, and, and how many trade shows have promised this or promised that? We've been all around it, um, and we haven't we haven't seen a whole lot of deployments that customers are just absolutely like jumping up and down and clicking their heels about. Um, there's probably a thousand people listening to this podcast that would say that I'm a charlatan and a liar, but um, and they they could you know quote you hundreds of, of very happy customers that have that have achieved the you know the holy grail. Of, uh, of, uh, of the integration of all of these wonderful functions. It's, so facilities and IT people um, are, uh, are very different by nature. Yeah. Um, one of them is responsible for the power and for, the, uh, for chilled water, for cooling, uh, to, to keep these servers spinning. The other, the other folks live inside those racks, provisioning and IP addresses and networks and all of that stuff. And they could, they could care a wit about, you know, um, the power and everything. That's somebody else's job. You know, I'm, I have a specific job and they have a specific job and they're very, they're very interesting personalities when, when you, when you, um, combine them into a room and try to figure out who's in charge because, I would tell you that it's probably the IT guys that, that are really running the world these days. Um, we've become the mechanical guys. Um, I'll put myself in that group. Um, we've become the people that are shoveling the coal into the engine. Right. And the IT guys are wearing the hat, you know, and, and pulling, on the, pulling on the whistle, choo-choo as the train moves along. And, um, you know, we just keep shoveling the coal in there to make sure that the train can keep going. But, but they're really steering, steering things. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different mindset. It's a different temperament. Um, getting them to get all, thing, get, getting all of these things into a single system um, to, uh, to, uh, to give this person what they need, it's extremely difficult. Um, and, to, and to appease both the IT folks and also, you know, the, uh, uh, the facilities folks. I haven't seen it yet, but, but maybe that's just because of, of my own personal experiences with the kinds of customers that I have. It's, um, we've seen Niagara-based systems, mm -hmm. um, which I, I still think is a, is a tremendously powerful um, uh, integration engine being able to to deal with very disparate protocols and also to deal with with uh, with very customized you know drivers to be able to pull in different types of, of proprietary networks. So it's, what what is Niagara? Because I, I know what it is, but you know, so you just... Ni Niagara is Niagara is a is a platform um, that is that is marketed by the Tritium folks, um, and uh, there are lots of different uh, flavors of Niagara and Tritium. 
um, you know, all the big controls houses, you know, have their own, have their own, you know, flavor of it. So, um, you know, most, most of the time when you're a Niagara integrator, like me, some, you know, the tritium folks or, or the local distributors want you to, they need you to join a team. So you got to pick a flavor. So, you know, we picked, you know, some very, um, some very common flavors, you know, Honeywell, Johnson, Siemens, people like that. But there are just, there are dozens of them. Yeah. Um, and they're all very good. And they all use the Niagara framework, which is very nimble, uh, very scalable, modular, uh, and, and is able, I think, at a certain level to, everybody's been playing catch up to Niagara. Um, and it's a framework that, uh, whereby in, in, in the days of yore, in the old days of, of very proprietary Honeywell, Johnson, Siemens, stuff like that, dealing with third-party third party, um, uh, drivers and equipment was, was just extremely difficult. Being able to pull in um, a crack unit that spoke, you know, something, you know, some, some protocol that we didn't speak. It was very difficult to make that happen. The marriage of those things became difficult. The Niagara framework um, really changed all that. And enabled people to bring in into a single, you know, controlled device, four or five different protocols. And, you know, that's the other part of this is that, um, you know, uh, trying to establish what language the UN speaks as, as its basic language. French, I think, maybe used, used to be sort of as whatever. So is it BACnet? Is it Modbus? Is it LAN? What is it? So those are the sorts of arguments that, that Niagara made moot because, I can talk LAN, I can talk Modbus, I can talk BATNEC, all under the same device. No problem. We have different networks that we've got to run in order to accomplish that, but it could do it. And so it really made uh, a lot of these problems of integrating various pieces of equipment and different types of equipment a lot easier. Drew, nothing could be further from the truth than to say that automation is easy and integration is easy. It's really... It's really a frustrating business. I mean, and really, you want to like drive your head through the wall half the time. But it's all possible. It's just a matter of, again, probably it's a network configuration issue or something else that we're just missing. A software rev in that piece of equipment that's down line and is bringing the whole segment of network down. Those are the sorts of things that really make make it make your skin crawl when you're when you're trying to talk to a customer about how easy this is going to be and i'm going to make all of your mechanical equipment talk and all your it equipment talk and we're going to have this beautiful screen that you're going to be able to see everything dcim making that making that happen is um and making it happen in a way that that, that doesn't cause you a tremendous amount of torture uh, or the customer a tremendous amount of torture uh, is extremely difficult to do um, I haven't seen it. I haven't been able to do it, you know, seamlessly or easily. We do it, but it ain't easy. Yeah. Well, I, I've been through it. I mean, we, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> we've commissioned data centers, yeah. uh, and going through the process of, of making sure that the BAS works and, and even the quote unquote DCIM, making sure that some of those things fit together. Uh, yeah, it can be torture. It, it is, it's a long process and some of it goes down to tuning, which is something that you have to have a person do. You know, it's, and that I can't even imagine. I'm glad I don't have your job. <laughs> but um, that takes you into uh, some of the other things that you need to tune and keep up with and, and another part of the business, which is just, you know, like you're saying, the mundane of PMs and going out in the field. 
and making sure that you're uh, getting ahead of everything. So, you know, what, what, is your, what is your framework for making sure that you are always ahead of the game as much as possible? Like PM strategy, all that. Um, wow, being ahead of the game. Um, so I'll, I'll let you know the first time that happens. Right. <laughs> uh, but I think that, um, so at a very early stage, um, when you're, when you're bringing technicians along, uh, especially, uh, I'll just speak very frankly, especially young guys, uh, in the, in the HVAC world, what they need to understand and what we try, what I try to tell them very early when they're a first year apprentice I need you to become the Zen master of checking fuses, changing filters, tightening belts, and cleaning coils. Nothing is more important than that to my customers because just doing those things will make the equipment run well. And that goes down to training too. It does. You and know, it's checklists and training and it's constant. And that, and that's the other piece of it. So as they as they learn to do these things and do them safely. Um, and so that they don't injure themselves or their guys that they're working with or the customer's building or equipment. We move them into working with spreadsheets because it, we said we did it, but now we've got to also prove that we did it. Yeah. So documentation was something that I spent a lot of time on in the early days when we, when we first started creating checklists. And then from the checklist, creating the deficiency lists because thank you for the PM, Todd. Appreciate it. Is there anything, what happened to the equipment? What's, what's going on? Am I, do I have a clean bill of health? So that's exactly what we do. So each piece of equipment, each manufacturer is different. The IOM or the, the installation operate and maintain manuals that accompany each piece of equipment. I have to teach my technicians that we have to read. So it's okay to have a technician standing in front of a piece of unfamiliar equipment looking at an IOM manual that they've, they've never seen this version of this Liebert unit or this version of this train centrifugal chiller before. So they need to get smart and they need to get smart fast. They have tons of transferable skills. They've worked on lots of like pieces of equipment before, but they need to get smart on this customer's piece of equipment that is in this facility because there could be five or six different options that the one next door doesn't have. So reading the IOM manuals and then changing those checklists to conform to the actual piece of equipment that they're in front of, and then making sure that we document anything that's out of tolerance into the deficiency list. This is the hardest thing for me to teach young technicians to senior technicians to do and to do well. Documenting our work um, is the closest thing you can do to make yourself bulletproof. It protects us, it protects the business, but it also importantly, very importantly, protects the customer because they've got something that they can take to their boss, the CFO or whomever, and say, hey boss, we have to change this compressor out, otherwise this unit will not run and, and we're gonna have all sorts of problems. So they need that documentation too in order to make sure that, that they're in compliance with whatever laws that they're, they need to be in compliance with as well. But staying ahead, wow. Um, in the service business, I think, um, probably the, the only possibility that we have for that, given the craziness of our business and, and the extreme temperatures, is that we, dedicate, we de essentially dedicate a crew to PMs. 
So that there is a crew that is kind of dedicated to PMs, and that's where a lot of our younger folks are, you know, because we need them to understand how to take care of the equipment before they can really troubleshoot. So we keep a crew dedicated to PMs, and we keep two other crews that are dedicated to all the madness that happens. So three, four, five calls came in today, which completely blew a hole in our schedule for tomorrow, but we have a PM crew that's doing what they've got to do, right? So that equipment gets touched. And by the time they touch all the equipment at the end at the end of December, it's time to start all over again, January 1. So yeah, there's a lot of mundane stuff that's happening there, but all around them is this this madness that's going on. You know, so Joe picks up the phone and he calls Charlene at the office here and says, I, a compressor just blew up on this unit, on this building. I gotta keep chugging along with the PM, but you're gonna have to pull somebody off another building and send them over here. That's what's going on constantly um it drives certain people out of their minds well operators it drives out of their minds they hate paying for pms yeah i'll tell you (laughs) well yeah but but the p but the pms and touching that piece of equipment also gets gets my technicians extremely intimate and familiar with that equipment because yeah i get this all the time um i had a, a potential customer that called me out to their site and said i've got all these problems with my equipment i it's it's really humid in this room what's what's wrong I mean, so if, if I walked in off the street and I told you that my stomach hurts, I walked into a doctor's office, I said, my stomach hurts. What's wrong with me? Well, let's open WebMD and maybe yeah. we can find 55,000 different things that could be wrong with you. We need to be intimate with that piece of equipment to find out what's wrong with it. Yes, we've touched a thousand carrier rooftop units or, you know, Dakin McQuay rooftop units or whatever, but but we need to know what's going on with this particular piece of equipment. What are the idiosyncrasies of this particular patient and how do they present? Preventative maintenance allows us to stay, to, to basically give that piece of equipment the care that, that it needs as per the manufacturer's guidelines, but also to allow my technicians to be familiar with the idiosyncrasies of that. Oh yeah, that's got this really weird section of you know the, the high side on the, on the hot gas bypass is really strange on this and you gotta you know pull on this twice and hit it with your elbow over here in order to make it work and it takes off and runs like a champ those are the sorts of things that, that our customers ultimately pay for because we know how to get to the solution as quickly as possible because without the the touches on the preventative maintenance side of it we're walking up to a completely unfamiliar piece of equipment and we need to have been intimate with this thing a little bit in order to be able to make a quick fix when the quick fix is necessary. And it always happens. And, and, and always every comes. site is different and has its own problems. Uh, you know, one site has hard water and so they get scaling and another site, you know, I'm sure a lot of sites have hard water, but, uh, but just being able to know that and help that use that information to diagnose when it's time is, is uh, important. And, you know, I've, I've seen that before, but then, making the business case like so you're you're an entrepreneur you're this is your company and so you have to be in sales to a certain extent uh it must be difficult to make the sales case sometimes for preventive work and uh making sure that everything is tuned and working appropriately so how do you make that case yeah that's that's hard. Um, so uh, you and I both know, because we've worked together in the past, we both know that, that some people don't believe in preventative maintenance. They don't believe in it. Yeah. It's break and fix. Put a new piece of equipment on there, tie the manufacturer and the installer to a warranty, and then just 
go till it till something quits. Get somebody out, fix it. So um, I typically don't get along with folks like that, um, and I'm not everybody's flavor, and I'm okay with that. You know, at 54 years of age, I've been, maybe I've become comfortable inside my wrinkly skin that. Um, that I am not everybody's flavor. I'm not everybody's taste. I'm really going to only um, probably, I don't knock on a lot of doors. Um, people refer us a good deal. Um, and we've got, you know, relationships that, that deepen and grow. So we may be working with XYZ Corporation, but our name goes to several different other property managers within that, within that organization and other facility managers who say, hey, Todd and his guys, you know, really fixed this problem for us before. Maybe you should give them a call. I think that they they did a good job. That's really how we've grown our business in terms of the sales cycle. Um, I'm probably I'm probably not a very good salesman. I know all the wrong things to say. Um, I and I say them typically, and I caution people, and I'm I'm very cautious about you know what we take on because I know that we're not we're the Navy SEALs, right? We're not. We're not, uh, we're, not, we're not not the army here. So I have to be careful about what I take on and the promises I make. But on the sales cycle, I've, I've learned that I will not be everybody's flavor. So I have become comfortable with the fact that there are only certain people that are going to want what I'm selling. And I'll try to spend my time finding those folks so that you know the, the frustrating sales cycle isn't so frustrating to me anymore. I have a receptive audience to begin with. Um, but trying to convince somebody who's utterly convinced that preventative maintenance is not in their budget nor their, nor their best interest, I'll see you. Yeah. You know, I'll see you. It's the, that, and that's entirely their prerogative. And probably some people are very successful running their business model that way. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to say that, that somebody else is wrong and I'm right. I just, I'm a maintenance guy. It's what I do. And, you know, it's, it's, it's who I've always been. Um, and what I, what I espouse, I believe that, taking care of your very expensive BMW makes it run on the road that much better and that much more energy efficient. Um, So, um, you know, if you've got a very expensive piece of, you know, computer room air conditioning equipment, um, you you need to take care of it so that it runs at at, at peak efficiency and optimal um, all the time. So I don't, I don't bog myself down and and frustrate myself trying to sell something to someone who, who really isn't, picking up what I'm laying down. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't spend too much time doing that because um, I, I would prefer to, to spend uh, my precious time, and that's what, we, what is most precious, on a more receptive audience. Right. Well, I, one of the reasons I brought that up, though, is that you do have a, a very persuasive newsletter that you put out. I think it's monthly. Uh, I wish it, I wish it was. Oh well, it was at one point. <laughs> it was yeah. pretty close at some. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but I was actually always impressed. Every every one of those it seemed like it was written by you because it was very you know high level and, and intelligently written. But um, and there was always a different topic. And sometimes you know there there would be certain themes. But I was I was impressed by how many different you know uh, avenues you went down to explain how to maintain and. Uh, automate and uh, work with data centers and you know I, I was wondering that must take a lot of time when you do it and 
is that something that has really been beneficial? Has it worked for you? Yep. Is it, yeah, it has. It has. So it's Tech Talk <clears throat> yeah. are the, uh, the articles that we write. And um, a lot of that um, very often will come from my guys. Um, you know, they'll, we'll, we'll be talking about a particular really difficult topic, whether it be, you know, um, a legacy migration on the building automation side or water quality on the, on the, on the other side, on, on, on the HVAC side of things. And there'll be some, I, I will typically try to make sure that every, all the offending parties are nameless, their buildings, their equipment, et cetera. But, um, there's usually something from my customer base that ends up creating that story. Um, water quality is, is one, what, one that comes to mind. We had a building that had very poor water quality when we inherited it. And it took a lot of work in order to, to fix that problem. And it took a couple of years um, for all, all the vestiges of those problems to be sort of washed out of the system. And there were you know, term, pieces of terminal equipment and things like that that continued to fail. So these articles are generally from an experience that we have had. Um, and I try to make it a sort of a lesson learned. Um, and then also try not to, not to fill it with too much techno babble because a lot of my customers are facilities folks and they have a precious little bit of time and they are, they are an inch deep and a mile wide. They know a lot about a lot, but, um, they don't have time to focus, you know, on, on just Todd Finnegan's world. You know, they also have ceiling tiles that are a problem and roofs that are a problem and parking lots that are a problem. So, and those things are probably more nagging. But when you've got a water quality problem or you've got people are too cold when they shouldn't be or too hot when they shouldn't be, you've got a big problem. You've got a lot of very angry people in that building, whether they be servers that are starting to quit on you or tenants that are threatening not to pay rent. Um... Those sorts of things are, are what we're dealing with. And these articles are always, you know, informed and, and coming from, you know, these experiences with our customers in their buildings. And they like them. And when I send them out, especially if it's an article that was inspired by somebody's water quality, I always get a private note sent to me. Yeah, I was the inspiration for this one. Thank you very much <laughs> right. for keeping my name out of the article, Todd. Right, right. But yeah, that's where it comes from. And it's, it's been very good. It's... it's and it's not, I mean, you've read them and they're not really crazy technical, but you know, in there is, 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 is typically a very, a lesson learned. And yeah. I try to keep it like that. Well, it's, it's intelligent and in there's an insight. There's always, there's always a, a theme and an insight yeah. in each one. So, um, I was wondering too, like, have you tried to get that into some kind of publication or it's, it's always just from your email? Some people have picked it up. I mean, some, yeah. some online publications oh, have, have picked that. it up. Okay. Um, yeah, we got picked up a, a couple of times. Sometimes I it would, I, I would see this thing appear. I saw one of my articles appear in like high rise magazine, <laughs> an online high. I'm like, how the heck did this person see yeah. this thing? But they, they picked it up. Maybe they saw it out there. Somebody flipped it to them huh. and they, they published it. I didn't, I didn't, nobody told me that they did. Yeah. I don't care. I'm not doing it to make, I'm not writing the articles to make money. I'm, I'm really writing the articles to, to, to have a, a convenient excuse to stay in front of my customers. Yeah. Uh, and because I am a frustrated writer, I've always wanted to be a writer. <laughs> I, 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 there it is. There's yeah. the bald fact. I, I write bad poetry and, 
bad short stories and stuff like that, but I've always wanted to be a writer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's the Irish in you, right? Or... <laughs> Especially the bad poetry part, right? <laughs> I know. I have, I have the same thing. I've definitely written my fair share of bad poetry. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. My, I, had, I had a whole blue period early. You yeah. Know, when my wife and I first got married, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, I wrote very dark poetry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I... I um, Sort of the James Joyce, like, mm, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, getting yeah. in the depths of it. William um, Butler Yeats. Yeah, yeah, Yeats is great. The greatest uh, poet in the history yeah. of the English language. Sorry, William Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I, I, I had uh, read Yeats to my wife a couple times, and, and there's like a couple phrases that always come back up. And her, this is way aside, but her like nickname growing up was Beamy. And like, because Colleen, Leany Beanie came Beamy, but... That's like one of Yeats's phrases. It's like you're beaming it. He uses it like three different times, I think, in his poetry. So it was like, I was like, I don't know if this is too cutesy, but I'm going to do it. And then she, she just laughed at me. As long as it worked. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, you're happily married with children yeah. now, so it all worked yeah. out. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm a big fan of Yeats. Um, <laughs> I guess that's an aside. But um, so, you know, moving forward, you know, it's great to have. Um, referrals and ways in but the industry is changing it seems like there's a lot less enterprise data center it's a lot more colo and the colos are getting bigger and bigger and bigger um so do you feel squeezed at all being a smaller company that's interesting you say that you know um we operate pretty lean uh we always have since since the beginning um and you know we we have colos as customers and, you know, and they're part of, you know, some of them started out as, as, you know, mom and pop colos, if that's a thing. You know, maybe there were two or three sites and then they got bought up by a much bigger colo yeah. organization. And you, um, you see that the, sort of the purchasing decisions, instead of being locally, you know, in the Philadelphia area, are now in, you know, uh, Birmingham, Alabama or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And so there's this disembodied voice and email over the phone that doesn't really care about me and what I've done for the facility. They just want to know that, you know, how can I justify the fact that, you know, I'm a hundred hours more expensive than, than Joe Blow over here. So yeah, it becomes a competitive environment, but I think that, um, you know, the pendulum always swings one way and then swings back the other. Right. And, um, what we've seen, what we've seen Time in and time out, as I tell the boys all the time, when they're when they're worried about the fact that we're kind of getting pushed out the door because this this organization got bought and, and new management and all that other stuff, I said, just hang on and wait, just just wait and watch what happens. Always be polite, always be kind, always do the right thing for the customer and their and their equipment. And then when the other guy comes in and he messes everything up, They'll call us again and, and stay in touch. Stay in touch. Call them every now and again. Send them a card. Whatever you got to do, just stay in touch. But I find that, you know, people buy from people, Drew. I, I, I really believe that. And so um, my customers know that I'm the owner of this company. And if there's something that they don't like, they can pick up the phone and I'll answer day or night. Yeah. And I'll take care of that problem. Um, I think that's worth something. And if it's not, then I definitely don't want to be working for those folks. Right. But um, that probably limits me. That probably limits me to a certain audience, to a certain type of organization. And there's probably certain types of organizations that would never want a Todd Finnegan and ACS Services, you know, working for them. Um, but um, I think they're, I think they're losing out. 
And I also think that there's some larger companies um, to talk about the pendulum kind of swinging the other way. We have some some companies that are very large, multinational companies that are extremely loyal customers because they like our smallness. They like our personal touch. They like the fact that, you know, we can, we'll get to their site within two hours and, and we don't think anything of it. They, they like the fact that, you know, I have a four hour minimum and it only took 30 seconds to flip a breaker and we send them a bill for $0. Yeah. You know, we, we try to treat our customers the way that we would like to be treated. And that's for real. That's not just, you know, BS salesmanship. I'm, I mean, that's what I try to communicate to my guys. You leave that site like you would want your house to be left. That is important and treat that customer fairly, you know? So if we go there and you know, it's a four hour minimum, you look around and you say, Hey, you want me to take care of greasing that fan over there for you while I'm here? Or I could do this, that, or the other thing while I'm here. You know, if it's after hours at 2 a.m. you need to get home, fine. But, you know, if it's the middle of the day and we're on a service call and we can take care of that person's needs, then we do it. Um, I find the older I get and the more the things go on, I, I do see the consolidations and things like that that are somewhat unnerving. But the people that I'm dealing with, sometimes what happens, and this is sort of the, I think, the, um, um, to the silver lining to all that. So I have a customer who was part of uh, one, one group of data centers that got bought out by a bigger group of data centers. And he didn't like the, the culture and, and, and all like that. And so he eventually left or probably got squeezed out. He ended up somewhere else, picked up the phone, called me, and we walked in and took over the service at another location. So yeah. we actually grow in that manner sometimes yeah. because we were the incumbent here. And then the new person sort of realizes that we're competent and we're good. And we develop a relationship with that person. And then the other guy who left and went over here, we pick up him where, where we, right where we left off at his, at his new company. Um, but we do see that we, they, our customers enjoy the personal touch. They, they enjoy the focus on the quality. I mean, laser beam focus on the quality and just not giving up. Um, and I think if, if anything um, could, could sort of classify our approach is that I think at the end of the day, our customers absolutely know that we will do everything within our power um, to get to the end result, to get them in a stable condition and do, I mean, literally turn ourselves inside out and upside down in order to make that happen. They know it. They know we'll do it. Um, I thank God it doesn't need to happen off them that often, but um, that is who we are. And I think that is the reputation that we've developed with our customers. And so they, they have a tendency to be sticky customers. And, um, and sometimes when they're taken over by a bigger customer, they'll fight pretty hard to make sure that we stay in because we've done that for them. And you know plenty of data center operators um, and you know that um, they really need to have a good Rolodex of people that are very reliable that they know can bail them out of a jam. That's worth something. I think it is. I mean, if I was a data center operator, I would want a list of of my A-team always right there, you know, laminated on my desk, you know, and every single one of those guys or gals on speed dial. Yeah. That's important. And, and when the stakes are higher, you need to have a team that you know you can rely on. And yeah, I, yeah, I, I do see that, that a certain aspect of the market certainly moves and morphs and, and people want to, you know, cut costs and it's all about money at a certain level. Mm-hmm. But um, maintenance of equipment 
that is part of your basic business strategy, when, especially when you talk about data centers. Um, at a certain point, the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And the, the lack of maintenance or uh, ignoring of that maintenance will ultimately um, will ultimately be the lash on, on the guy who just wanted to save a few pennies. And we've seen that too. We've seen that you know be the case uh, more often than not. Ultimately, ultimately, um, good practices, good maintenance, and integrity wins the day. Yeah, I I one hundred percent agree with that. Um, and I I feel like in in a lot of ways that's I, I wish I could almost have gone out had gone out on that note because it's a very powerful thing to say, but. Um, also, I have to, you know, just ask you how people can get in touch with you, sure. like, you know, is it website, social, anything like that? Sure. That... Um, my LinkedIn profile is out there. Um, and that's, um, uh, I, and, and if you just send me an invitation to, uh, to, to link up pro- profile, certainly you can get to me there. All of my information is there. But um, my cell phone uh, is, is, is out there. And our, our website, you know, acssllc.com. Um, it's really only a splash page right now. Uh, we're working on that, uh, but we've had so many things to work on. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, uh, uh, we, we moved the business this year and all sorts of crazy Which, stuff happened. You know, this is a beautiful office. Thank I, you. I really, I, I think you lucked out. Yeah, I'm more than lucked out. Look yeah. at the Irish, man. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, my dad always said he'd rather be more, he'd rather be lucky than smart. And I think that, uh, I'm neither of those things, actually, but <laughs> I think in this particular well, instance, you know, I was yeah. lucky. <laughs> yeah, every once in a while, you fall into it, so that's good. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I really appreciate you talking to us, Todd. Oh, really, it was great. Thank you. Thanks again to Todd Finnegan for talking with us. You can find Todd on LinkedIn by searching ACSS and his name. Finnegan is spelled F-I-N-N-E-G-A-N gotten the spelling wrong a few times on that i'd like to thank our sponsor green lane design remember to mention the good data podcast to get that free assessment that helps everybody our music is algorithmically created by juke deck which is pretty amazing try it yourself uh, visit jukedeck.com for good data i'm drew farnsworth talk to you next time on the podcast